I guess just a few uh, maybe rules of the road this week. We're recording the class, and so if you would, uh, if you have a comment, wait for the microphone to come around to you, if you would, so that we can make sure that that gets picked up on the uh, on the recording. Not trying to intimidate anybody with that. Don't even think anything of it. Just let uh, let the Spirit direct you in your comments, and you won't even notice that microphone in front of you. I'm going to also tell you that I am not a lecturer. Um, I'm pretty good at conducting (laughs) classes, but I am not a lecturer. So without your comments, this will be a very short class. So just bear that in mind. I'm putting this responsibility on you to help me. Um, The plan is that we're going to go through just the daily themes as they have been laid out for our reunion. Um, I haven't done a lot of study, to be honest with you, on the subject of God is light um, and in him is no darkness. But I found it as I've gone through each day and and try to put down my thoughts and some some scriptures that uh, that go along with that, that um, it it was very in. And forgive the pun, it was very enlightening, you know, to me. So I've, I've enjoyed the study and finding those scriptures that uh, that go along with that. Um, and so I, I pray that you will uh, as well. It looks like we might be a little short on these handouts, so feel free to scoot next to your neighbor and share if anybody needs uh, needs to look on. It's probably just a good outline to have. It's not absolutely necessary. We'll go through each of the scriptures, and if you can take notes, I'll, I'll let you know what those are. So, um, We're going to start by taking a look at the, uh, the theme for the week, and then we'll get into day-by-day themes. Um, the theme for the week is God is light, and in him is no darkness. God is light, and in him is no darkness. Let that sink in just a little bit. And if you've got your scriptures with you, and I hope that you do, because we're going to look at a lot, turn to the Doctrine and Covenants, section 83, verse 7. And we'll read A through D. So these uh, first two scriptures that I've got on your list there have been provided by the uh, the, the camp director and the pastor for the uh, reunion here. These are our theme reference scriptures. And so I'm going to start each day with those because I think those are worth uh, exploring just a bit. And this section, uh, 83, verse 7, starting at A, says this. And now I give unto you a commandment to beware concerning yourselves, to give diligent heed to the words of eternal life, for you shall live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. For the word of the Lord is truth, and whatsoever is truth is light, and whatsoever is is light, is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world, and the spirit enlighteneth every man through the world that hearkeneth to the voice of the spirit. And every one that hearkeneth to the voice of the spirit cometh unto God, even the Father. So what did you think about that? Did that say that uh, that the Lord giveth the Spirit to those that are here at reunion only? Of course not. Does he give the Spirit only to the saints from Adrian Restoration Branch? Or Buckner Restoration Branch? No. What does it say? I think I saw the word every in there, didn't you? Every man through the world. So that means no women get the spirit? Mankind 
including men and women. The promise is to everyone that the Spirit is given to everyone, to every man that cometh into the world. So let me see a show of hands. Who believes they've received of the Spirit that's being spoken of here? Why do you think that? Why do you know that? Justin? Well, if we believe that God created us, that whenever he created us, he infused us with a portion of his spirit, so therefore every man who comes into the world bears a portion of his spirit. Absolutely. Trenton? He tells us in, I think it's Genesis, that since we have that spirit within us, we can tell right from wrong. So, you know, we're able to know right from wrong because we have that spirit within us. Yeah. And and why are we here on this earth, Trenton? Because God made us. God made us. He gave us a probationary time to do what? To repent of our sins and come back to him. That's right. So there's a reason that the Lord's given us that spirit. And we're going to study a little bit more in depth about it. Think about your baptism. All right? How many kinds of baptisms are there? Two. Maddie's been in my class before. What are they, Maddie? What's water and spirit? Water and the spirit. That's exactly right. We... uh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be careful. I can go down rabbit holes, so you got and you, you all that know me know that I can do that pretty easily. So I'm gonna try to stay somewhat focused uh, today. Let's look at another scripture because I wanna I wanna understand a little bit more about this spirit that is being spoken of here. Okay, turn to the first book of Nephi, the fifth chapter. And we're going to look at verse 146. So I came across this scripture a few years ago, and it put into words what I had always believed, but I didn't really know how to explain, okay, as it relates to the Spirit. You know, I've been told by some old elders that um, when the Spirit moves upon a people, or upon an individual, it can bring out of that individual some strong emotion. But the spirit in and of itself is not emotion. We can see, you know, there's some denominations out there that thrive on emotion and proclaim that to be the spirit. So we need to be careful kind of in that distinction. Sometimes, you know, music is a wonderful part of our services, prayer service, worship services. Um, Music can also, we have to be careful of the type of music because it can also stir up emotion and bring us to a point where we are emotional and we're missing um, the fact of the spirit itself. And so this scripture Help me to understand just a little bit of that. This is 1 Nephi chapter 5. It's not on your on your sheet. The, the teacher has taken liberties <laughs> and added, I'll add some scriptures as we go along. You'll, I'm kind of sneaky that way. You'll find out about me. Uh, 1 Nephi chapter 5 verse 146 says, And he spake unto you in a still small voice, but ye were past feeling." that you could not feel his words. So this is a particular uh, scripture here that's talking to those that um, have been in a state of iniquity, but it gives us a clue into the fact that this spirit, as it moves among us, brings about a feeling. Have you ever heard somebody say that I sense the spirit? I feel the Spirit's nearness to me. It is very much a sense. You know, we have vision, we can see, we can hear, we can taste, we can touch. We've been given all of these senses to guide us 
in this temporal world, haven't we? We also have the sense where we can recognize the Spirit. And that is a sense that we have to, saints, learn to nurture. We have to learn to nurture. Brenda? Uh, Scott's sermon just laid that all out last night. Any particular part of it that you're thinking about? That you were, well, that you were just talking about how that spirit felt. Yeah. You know, he talked about that. Go ahead, Eric. Um, The book of Alma, chapter 16, verse uh, 161 and 162. Alma's talking about the word being a seed, but he says, uh, and this because you know... For ye know that the word has swelled your souls, and ye also know that it has sprouted up, and your understanding doth begin to be enlightened, and your mind doth begin to expand. Oh, then, is this not real? I say unto you, yea, because it is light, and whatsoever is light is good, because it is discernible. Therefore, you must know that it is good. Give me that reference again. Uh, Alma 16, 161, and 162. Alma 16, 161, and 162. Great. That's a great reference. And, you know, Scott talked about uh, that experience where he went down into that dry creek bed, and he prayed, and he felt that peculiar sensation that he was not familiar with. And then he had the encounter with the rabbit, you know, that wasn't afraid of him. It's like... It made me think about, you know, uh, the scripture that talks about the lion and the lamb shall lie down together and there'll be no hurt in all of his holy mountain. When the Lord's creation comes together under the influence of that spirit, how wonderful is that going to be? You know, to feel that uh, closeness with all of God's creation whether it's the rabbit or the oak tree that he talked about last night, it just made me smile, you know, because that is the Lord's spirit at work. And so that's our challenge, I think, saints. That's what we are challenged to do is to learn to recognize that spirit. Brother Bob Gilbert always said, you got to know the master's voice. Isn't that true? You've got to know his voice and be able to discern it or recognize it from the other voices that are in this world because there's a lot of them. And we're going to talk about that some more too. Everett, wait for the microphone. We talk about uh, how nature is fulfilling its purpose through God. You look at the sunflowers. They follow the sun from the time it rises up in the morning to the setting at night. Shouldn't we be following the Son, the Son of God? That just seems too simple, Everett. I think you're exactly right. Sometimes the simplest principles are the hardest for us to do. I don't know why that is. Maybe because it's our rebellion. But great great example, the sunflowers that follow the sun. That's our responsibility as well. Turn to the book of Helaman real quick, and then I'll come to Ed. This is in the uh, second chapter of Helaman, verse 94. It says, And it came to pass that when they heard this voice and beheld that it was not a voice of thunder, neither it a voice of a great tumultuous noise, but behold, it was a still voice of perfect mildness as if it had been a whisper. And it did pierce even to the very soul. I believe this is another reference talking about the Spirit of Christ. As it speaks to us, as we learn to sense it, as we learn to listen to it, it pierces our very soul. Does it not? Pierces our very soul. Brother Ed, did you have a comment? Yeah, yeah. Just in uh, going back a little bit, <laughs> you had mentioned in First Book of Nephi, chapter five. I wrote in my my margin there. It says I put numbness or overstimulated. 
and I think the world overstimulates us, and it causes that numbness, to callous, I guess, to sense God's presence. And then, as a cross reference to that, I'd like to use Romans chapter one. Uh, you can read uh, twenty-one talks about the first steps of, to, of the fall, but chapter twenty-four, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse twenty-one talks about our first steps to fall. And the 24 says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness there, uh, through the lust of their own heart and dishonor of their bodies between themselves. And then lastly, what I really wanted to get at was first, uh, chapter, still in chapter uh, 1, verse 28, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, according to some, to do those things which are not covenant. So I think it's it's a pattern we see that uh, if we want those, he gives you what you want, and he gives you over to those things, and those that reprobate mindsets in. Isn't that true? You know, he gives the spirit to every man that comes into this world. If we do not nurture that spirit, or if we rebel against that spirit and push him away, then he withdraws. And he gives them over, as you mentioned, to a reprobate mind. If their choice is to be sinful and rebellious, he allows them to make that choice, doesn't he? And the last thing on that was, for me, that's how I try to have mercy. And others' lives, as I connect with them, is realize they have the spirit of God still in them. They're given breath every day to breathe. And they're in this challenge of life. And trying to get them to see God in the midst of that is our calling. Yeah. And I suppose there's a difference between those of us that have been nurtured in the faith and those of us that have been raised not ever knowing the the truth, you know, of the gospel and the light that we're talking about here. And so the Lord is very compassionate, isn't he, with those folks that they do not know, you know? Um I was going to go down another rabbit hole. I think I'll stay on task. Any other comments on that subject? I want to read one, one more scripture, if I may, on this subject. So out of Third Nephi chapter 5, verse 5, kind of explains uh, similar to the previous verse. And, and it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that they did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul and did cause their hearts to burn. Have you heard of that before, the burning in the bosom? Some have explained it that way. When the Lord's Spirit is with them, there comes a burning in the bosom. I talked to, uh, do you remember Sister Thelma Kester, some of you? She's been passed now for, for many years. Um, I was very close with Thelma. She taught my grandmother in Orioles. She was my grandmother's Orioles leader. And she, when uh, the day I was ordained to the office of elder, Immediately after that service, I went to her house to administer to her. She requested that I come. Um, So I was very close with Thelma. And we had a conversation about this one time. And she says, you know, I have never felt the burning in my bosom. And I said, you haven't. And she explained that she understood the Lord's spirit in a little bit different of a way. She sensed it in a little bit different of ways. And she said some of us have different gifts and talents and some of us experience things in different ways. And she had never felt the burning of the bosom, but many of us have. Many of us have felt the burning of the bosom and we know the Lord's spirit is there and that's just one of the indications that he is with us. So I just wanted to explain that that not always is the spirit accompanied with a burning of the bosom. Sometimes it's a piercing to the very soul, like we read in these scriptures. 
Other times it's a sense that we recognize because we've nurtured a relationship with him. And he speaks to us in a language that we individually understand. He is so very close to us. And he knows us because he created us. Sister Eleanor. I too have never felt that burning in my bosom. But the feeling of peace is the one that comes to me more than any. And I will share a very brief testimony on it. I walked out in the meadow. We have a farm. One day I walked out in the meadow. I told Jim I was just going to go for a walk. And I went over the hilltop where he couldn't see me. And suddenly I knew that I was there with the Lord. And I stood there and I sang every hymn I knew at the top of my voice. And I felt that I was bringing praises to him because he had blessed me with that feeling of peace. Thank you so much for sharing that. A spirit of peace. I think Thelma was very similar in that she loved music. She was a musician and taught piano lessons for years and years. And I think that she had a very similar experience to what you you described, Sister Eleanor. Thank you for that. Brother Steve. I don't know if you're going to go into this uh, later on in the outline, Joe, or not, but either I'm looking at section 50. You know, that, that spirit edifies us, and the Lord chose that word for us to have understanding. He said that, and that whole section 50 is marvelous for us to look at someday. Uh, as a class, wherefore he that preacheth and he that receiveth understandeth one another, and both are edified and rejoice together, and that which doth not edify is not of God and is darkness. That which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. <clears throat> so it's an edification, whether it is a burning in the bosom or if you're standing up there, Joe, and the cool breeze comes to you and you're questioning whether you should say something or not. And that cool breeze comes across to you as it did to me this morning that I needed to say something. And that and that edifies us. It wasn't a burning in my bosom, but was it was an edification of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have to look for, I think, too. Thank you. Brother Kyle? This is so interesting how we're talking about these differences, and it says it caused them to quake. When I was in Oregon in my mid-20s, I guess, after college, and I took a part-time job, it was just a summer job, and I thought I'd go to church there. This is in the 80s, like 85, 86, I don't remember, somewhere in there. And I remember going to Bend, Oregon, I think that's where it was, and I sat there, and here come the priesthood, and a woman was in the priesthood going up front. And my body started shaking uncontrollably, and it caused me, I actually got up and left, because I knew it was wrong. Thank you for sharing that, Kyle. Dave? The thing that dawned on me years ago is that... Uh, we're too quick to use the term burning of the bosom as a yes-no gauge when we have a problem. Uh, my mind goes back to Doctrine and Covenants, I guess it's section uh, 9. When you're studying out a problem, he, he, he mentions to us that you, you, you were too quick to ask. But he says to uh, study it out. And the deal is to study it out is that you remove all your emotions so that you can see both sides of the problem. And then, and then the, uh, the stupor of thought deal or the burning of the bosom. But if you look at the definition of, of deeper of that, it incorporates what we're saying here. There's other factors to it. It's the feeling of the enlightenment the excitement that you found the, the problem uh, solved, you know, you recognize it, the glee. It doesn't drag you down. Thank you for that good explanation. 
Have you ever experienced, as you're studying out a question in your mind, that um, another scripture comes to your mind, and you might have to go look it up like I do. I don't have memorized every scripture where it's at, but I'll look it up, and I'll go look at that scripture, and then another one will come to mind, and I'll look it up. And through that process, my question gets answered. Has anybody had that experience? I think a lot of you have. Yeah, without a doubt. So the Lord works in lots of different ways. Sometimes they're mysterious to us. But I felt it was important that we talk about um, understanding the Holy Spirit and its movement in our lives because that's a very fundamental and foundational thing to understand the light of God. And I think we'll see that as we go through, uh, through our lesson here. Well, we're 30 minutes into our class and we've done one verse, (laughs) which is okay. Uh, Turn to John, the first chapter, verses 4 and 5. Again, these are our references to the theme for the day, or for the week in this case. In him was the gospel, and the gospel was the life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the world, and the world perceiveth it not. So this scripture here in John, I think, is really uh, profound because it begins to explain to us what this light is that we're talking about. And look at that carefully. It says the gospel was the life. Life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the world. And in this case, the world perceiveth it not, at least not all of the world. What is the gospel? When it says the gospel was the life, what is the gospel? Ed? Just to keep it simple, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. So I frame it. The good news of Jesus Christ. Scott? Like to feast upon the Word of God every day? Yep. That would be that? The Word of God. To feast upon the Word of God. Any other ideas on what is the gospel? And I know it's hard to boil it down just to a few words. I think we've hit on the right direction. It's the plan of salvation. But it really goes beyond that, doesn't it? It's the plan that Christ has for all mankind from the beginning to the end. Which is pretty all-encompassing, if you think about it. Pretty all-encompassing. He wants everyone in this world to know who he is and what he offers them in salvation. It's offered to all mankind. Okay? Just like he said he gave his spirit to all mankind, so does he offer salvation to all mankind. And when we all come together under that banner of salvation, then we become part of that kingdom. And we know that kingdom is going to be set up here on this earth. What's that kingdom called? Zion, a new Jerusalem. Brenda? Third uh, <clears throat> Nephi chapter 12, 25 and 26. Behold, I have given unto you my gospel, and this is my gospel which I have given unto you, that I came into the world to do the will of my Father, because my Father sent me, and my Father sent me that I might be lifted up upon the cross. And after that I had been lifted up upon the cross, I might draw all men unto me. Probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Book of Mormon. It's in 3 Nephi chapter 12, starting about verse 24, 25, and through the rest of that chapter. It would be well for us to read that this afternoon. So these are the words of Jesus Christ himself. And I don't know about you, but I accept the words of Jesus Christ where he very simply explains his gospel. And it's hard to break it down any different than what he did. It's very simple. 
and he goes through each and every piece of it. So read that this afternoon, 3 Nephi chapter 12, right at the end of that that chapter. That explains the gospel. So the gospel is the life of man. It's really what gives us life. It's why we're here, saints. It's why we're here. And that life is also the light of men. And it shines in the world. Brenda? Um, going back to uh, John uh, 4 and 5, I just, you know, I've re- heard the scripture so many times, but it just hit me today. And the world perceive- perceiveth it not. And I think, how can. How can people not see light? And even if your eyes are closed, you can see through your eyelids. You can see when the light is on. So I, that's something that just hit me today that I had never thought about. The world should see it. It's right there. Yeah. You should be able to see it. And Kyle knows the answer as to why. <laughs> Yesterday evening, when we were getting ready for the service, the sunlight, it's, the sun will be over there and shining. Guys, there's a spider web right there on this water duct coming out right there, and it was shining on half of it. The other half you couldn't see. You could perfectly see a spider web fulfilling its creation. Because that light was shining upon it, I could see it. Without it, we can't see it. It's right there. And you'll see it this evening. Great example. And the world perceived it not, and it's just right there. Justin? I don't know if any of uh, you have experienced this before, um, but there's times, especially when we're at our home branch, and I close my eyes for a prayer, and I will see the. <laughs> I going to I see, I can see the silhouette glowing of the man at the pulpit. I see the pulpit and the man glowing as my eyes are closed. I don't know if anybody else has ever experienced that. I believe it was last year that Mike Estel was here and we were talking about light and he said that when man turns their back on the light, they create a shadow and they walk in the darkness of their own shadow. Because they turned their back on the light. I had forgotten that. That's a really good illustration as well. Brother Steve Willick. Uh, Tonight there will be what is called a super moon. It's going to be so bright and it's going to be so close. And there's only going to be two other opportunities to us to see it, that moon. That's going to be sometime in October. But tonight, observe that moon and the beauty of it but still it's not the light that the Lord wants us to occupy that is of the celestial glory that of the sun that we can see everything right before us but that light you may be able to see to tie your shoe or things like that that's fine you might even be able to read by it notice that tonight but it's still not the light that the Lord is trying to have us be in. He's trying to call us up higher to be in that light. A few years ago at our branch there at Buckner, I was about the sixth or seventh row back on a Sunday morning prayer service. And I noticed how beautiful the pews were and so forth and the beauty of it. And uh, and I just thought, well, that's nice. That's really good. But as the sun came through the window this way, the light of that sun came towards me on those pews. And I recognized that, well, those pews aren't so very clean after all. And so it is with us in our life. We have to have the light of Christ shine that light on us or we will fail in our quest. So we can do whatever we want to do, think whatever we want to think, but without the light of Christ shining on us, 
we don't feel the measure of our creation. And I would go further and say we won't see the filthiness that is on us without that light. And he gives us that light perhaps for us to realize that we still have more cleaning to do. Excellent illustration. As I was getting ready for class, I started about six weeks ago or so putting together my thoughts and these notes here. And it was a Sunday morning, and I was working on this first day and uh, thought about uh, what it is that I might bring. And I was reminded of the, the hymn as we're talking about, you know, the light. I was, I was reminded of the hymn, The Spirit of God Like a Fire is Burning. One of, uh, it's a latter-day favorite. And um, I wondered about that and went to church that morning. And lo and behold, we sang that hymn during the service. The elder in charge had selected that hymn. And you know what I think about coincidences, don't you? A coincidence is just God's way of staying anonymous. So it's his hand moving and making things happen that are outside of our line of sight, out of our vision, That and he brings those things together. I also say he's good at knitting, bringing you know, the knitting needles together and knitting things together. He does such a good job of that. Because so often we'll talk in Sunday school class and the same subject will be preached in the next hour during the 11 o'clock service. We see that time and time again. And that's just one example of how he knits these things together. But the the Spirit of God like a fire is burning, that hymn came to my mind. And I've you can look at it in the hymnal. I've got it printed out here on, on your sheet. And I think we probably know all the words by heart, but let me just read this hymn to you. The Spirit of God, like a fire, is burning. The latter-day glory begins to come forth. The visions and blessings of old are returning. The angels are coming to visit the earth. The Lord is extending His saints' understanding restoring their judges and all as at first. The knowledge and power of God are expanding the veil or the earth is beginning to burst. We call in our solemn assemblies in spirit to spread forth the kingdom of heaven abroad that we through our faith may begin to inherit the visions and blessings and glories of God. We'll sing and we'll shout with the armies of heaven, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Let glory to them in the highest be given, henceforth and forever. Amen and amen. You know, as we consider this study of light, what more perfect hymn can we reference then the Spirit of God, like a fire, is burning. There's such a close association between the Spirit of God and this word fire, which is light, if you think about it, light to us. So this hymn was sung at the dedication of the Kirtland Temple, if you recall. You weren't there. You would have had to have studied that in history. March 27th of 1836 is when this was uh, was sung. I don't know if that's the first time if it, it was sung or if it had been sung prior to that. My wife might know the history a little bit better. Probably if Dee was here, she could. I haven't read it for a while, but if I recall, it was written that day and the choir learned it right before the service. Do you remember... Um, Brother Phelps, his motivation to write the song. I was trying to look that up. Does anybody know the history behind that? Wasn't he inspired because of he saw a light at the Kirtland Temple? Am I getting that correct, Sister, right here? When the dedication happened, the people thought that the temple was on fire because the Spirit of the Lord was shining so brightly. It looked like it was burning. Yeah. And they ran to try to put out the fires, and there was no fire. So that was the, the gist of the vision he was trying to create in the song. 
Very good. Thank you for that. I knew it was a story similar to that, so I appreciate that very much. The other thing that happened on that same Sunday morning, not only was this hymn confirmed to me, but also a testimony was confirmed, and I've got it. You'll have to turn over to the uh, the second page, and I'm going to read that. This should be familiar to you as well. This is an account of uh, Brother J.J. Cornish and his work up in Canada. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to paraphrase it. I'm going to read this account. It's not very long. He says, On account of working at daily labor, this baptism was performed on Wednesday, late in the evening of, and make note of the date, December the 29th, 1875, an intensely dark night. After our prayer meeting, Mrs. John Taylor and Miss Sarah Lively were baptized of me in the River Thames, when suddenly there came a very beautiful light from heaven, which rested upon all, both members and non-members, brighter than the sun at noonday. There were about 30 persons present, and I feel sure that none of them could forget that night. It came down with a sound like a mighty rushing wind. We could hear it far above in the distance as it reached the place where we stood. We were enveloped in the brightest and the most beautiful light I ever saw, the glory of the Lord. I stood in the water to thus baptize. With my hand raised towards the heaven, I glanced upward, and how far it seemed I could see. The light was round, straight up and down like a shaft from heaven to earth, and just as bright on the inside edge as it was in the center, and so far as we could see, it was just as dark on the outer edge as it was a mile away. I think many of the uh, Latter-day Saints have read this testimony. Uh, the reorganized church uh, shared this, uh, and, and Brother J.J. Cornish in his book, Into the Latter-day Light, is where this was taken from on page 48 and 49. I've got a footnote down there that tells you where this was at. Um, you know, it made me think I was... Uh, a young priest uh, attending here at Buckner, and so this was many years ago, and I would go every uh, once a month on every sacrament Sunday to the nursing home in Blue Springs, and I took the sacrament to a sister. Her name was Hazel Roberts. And every time I sat with her and we had sacrament, we would visit, and she would tell me that her family uh, was there at that baptismal scene. And if you read the full account, uh, Brother Cornish talks about how the Lord acknowledged uh, by a voice to those that were there that were not yet believers. And one of those men, his name was Chloe, and Sister Hazel said that was her grandfather that uh, was there, and he was converted that night. Who wouldn't be when you saw that? But the Lord spoke to his mind and says, These are my saints, and you must not laugh at them. He didn't believe until that night. But that was her testimony. Every month that I went to visit her, she would share that testimony with me. Brother Eric. All all 30 of those individuals joined the church eventually. I didn't know that. All 30 of those individuals joined the church that were there that night. Brother Steve, will Yeah, he said, these are my people and you must not laugh at him. The one who said that, Brother Clo, uh, his descendant, and I'm quite sure it was his grandson, was the one who footed the bill for the Price Publishing building. I was responsible for building that building. Richard Price and I went to his house and he presented Richard a check for the building of that building. And uh, he came up to uh, the door. Or we brought him back to the bookstore. And he, as we approached the door, he looked down and he found, he saw a nickel. And he bent over and he picked it up. 
And he said, just think, 19 more of these and I'll have a dollar. So the Lord gave him what he had because of his diligence uh, to the stewardship law. But I've always looked back on that and I grin inside every time I hear this reference of that brother saying uh, that the Lord said to him, these are my people and you must not laugh at them. And then later he joined the church, etc., that's remarkable. Brother Everett. Wilson, would you mind turning the speaker down just a notch, getting a little bit of feedback? I had read that account in one of the Restoration Voices. His testimony, he was making, during the time before the experience occurred, he was walking through puddles saying, I'm baptized, I can pick up one or two wines now, and they're going to walk about the church, and so the experience occurred, and then that. Very good. Thank you, Everett, for, for sharing that. Let's go back to page one of our uh, our handout. I want to just quickly go through a few of these uh, verses that we've got down here. Uh, the first is out of Third Nephi, chapter eight, verse twenty-five and twenty-six, and these are just a few examples here um, uh, of the subject that we're talking about about a light coming down as a shaft or a fire. And it says, they were encircled about with fire, and the angels did minister unto them, and the multitude did see and hear and bear record, and they know that their record is true, for they all of them did see and hear every man for himself, and they were in number about 2,500 souls, and they did consist of men, women, and children." So that's an account there when Christ was uh, was working with them and these angels came and ministered unto these uh, little ones. And from section 90 in the Doctrine and Covenants, said the glory of, of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. And light and truth forsake that evil one. Every spirit of man was innocent in the beginning, And God, having redeemed man from the fall, men became again in their infant state, innocent before God. And that wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience from the children of men and because of the traditions of their fathers. You know, it's wonderful to think about the light of Christ and the power that's been exhibited in the testimonies that we've had, like J.J. Cornish. And it's great to think about those things, but we have to understand, my friends, that Satan is the opposition to all things that are of light. And he desires to bring this darkness. Okay? Just like the spider web. There was a dark side and a light side. There is an opposition in all things, and so we have to be careful of that. And we'll study a little bit later, um, not today, in one of our following days, about, you know, Satan can appear as an angel of light. He is a great deceiver. He's good at it. And if you don't believe me, read your scriptures when Jesus finished fasting in the wilderness. Who was the first that came to see him? Was it his disciples? Who was it? It was Satan. And what did he do? He quoted scripture to him in part. <laughs> the part that he could twist. We'll get into that later. But we have to be careful, okay? Because that evil one desires us to, uh, as it says here in the scriptures, through disobedience, follow after the traditions of our fathers. So we have to be careful there. John chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, last verse on this page one says, Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you, Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. 
while ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. Have you ever thought about that? Are you the children of light? Ponder on that one for a little while. You know, I shared the uh, testimony of J.J. Cornish, and that was on my mind that Sunday morning. And Brother Larry Beecher preached that morning, and he shared his experience, his conversion experience. And you'll have to ask Larry to share it with you in its entirety. But in part, Larry saw something similar to what J.J. Cornish and that company saw at the River Thames. Only he was up in um, Washington State. Puget Sound, I think, is where he was at, where his daughter Vanessa was baptized. And he said it was a dark and gloomy day. And he said he saw a shaft of light come down and rest upon her and the man that was baptizing her. And he asked others, did you see that? And nobody else saw that shaft of light. But Larry saw it, and that was one of his conversion experiences. Isn't that really something to think about? And so as I was thinking about this class, you know, those weeks ago, and the hymn, Spirit of God, like a fire is burning, and and this testimony of J.J. Cornish, it was just confirmed to me that day um, by the Lord that these were the right things to to bring forth as part of this class. All right. Just a few more things that I'd like to, uh, to cover here in the next few minutes, and then we'll take a quick break. Brothers and sisters, Truth is light. Truth is light. It says there in Genesis, the sixth chapter, verse 53, says, In the name of my only begotten Son, who is full of grace and truth. And I'm going to go to my scriptures because I only quoted that uh, in part. So let me get over to the 6th chapter of Genesis, verse 53. And he also said unto him, If thou wilt, turn unto me, and hearken unto my voice, and believe, and repent of all thy transgressions, and be baptized, even in water, in the name of mine only begotten Son, who is full of grace and and truth, which is Jesus Christ, the only name which shall be given under heaven, whereby salvation can come unto the children of men, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, asking all things in his name, and whatsoever ye shall ask, it shall be given you. There's a lot in that one verse. But it goes back to the uh, what we were talking about earlier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was shared in the beginning, my friends, the book of Genesis. It was shared in the beginning of the importance of the plan of salvation. They had light in the very beginning. We have light today. It's the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next verse there is found in 2 Nephi, and I neglected to put the verse on there, so if you've got a, a, a pencil with you, it's the first chapter and the 71st verse. So 2 Nephi, first chapter, verse 71. It says, Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Have you started to see and understand that the Spirit, the Gospel, the Light, the Truth, all of these things are related one with another, are they not? Let's turn over to the book of Ether. Sorry, I forgot to write this verse in there too. It's the first chapter 
verse 108. And it says this, For behold, I am the Father. I am the light and the life and the truth of the world. Life and light and truth. So truth is light, my friends. Truth is light. Ether chapter 1, verse 108. All right, here we're going to start talking a little bit next about, um, I love the light, but there is darkness. Did you realize that darkness was created? Did you realize that? If we look at Isaiah, the 45th chapter, verse 7, says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Notice... He didn't say, I create light and I create darkness. What did he say? He formed light. He created darkness. And I think that's interesting. And I think that's a distinctive that we need to try to understand just a little bit. If you think about forming something... Uh, Think about clay in the hands of the potter, and he forms a cup or a bowl. It's malleable in his hands. Um, We were formed out of the dust of the earth. He formed us. He took those elements which are eternal, and he formed them. Just like this scripture says in Isaiah... And we'll come to understand that God himself is light and there is no darkness in him. But he takes and he forms that light into what he wants it to be. Isn't that interesting? I see some puzzled looks on your faces. Have you ever thought this thought before? I hadn't either, to be honest with you. But if you think about it, and as we study this out a little bit more, I think you'll find that it's true. When the Lord's... Would you, will I say that again? About forming the light? It was not created. Light was not created. God is light. He is from everlasting to everlasting. That's part of his nature. But he takes it and forms it, I think, into what he wants it to be. Light. So it could come down as a shaft of light from heaven. Or it could be the light of the sun. Or it could be the lesser lights like of the moon or of the stars. He placed those things in the heavens. Just something to think about. We'll try to study that a little bit further as we go. If you look at, uh, this is a good scripture, so look at Revelations chapter 22, we'll read verse 1 through 5, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no light there that they need no candle, neither light of the sun, 
For the Lord God giveth them light that they shall reign forever and ever. Yes, brother. If you said God didn't make light in Genesis 6 or 8, I mean, and I, God, said, let there be light, and there was light. Yeah, he spoke it. Did he? Did that mean he created it, would be my question. He spoke it. He formed it. I'm just posing the question. I don't want to get anybody riled up about that, but I want you to think about that just a little bit. Because my point I'm trying to make is that he is light. God is light. And he <coughs> shares that light then with us. Is is really I probably didn't do a very good job of explaining that. In Second Nephi chapter one, starting in verse ninety six, and I'm just going to read this from our, our sheet here. It says, For there is a God, and he hath created all things. It must be that there was an opposition. Wherefore the Lord gave unto man that he should act for himself. And the big question that I have is, if the Lord is light, why would he even bother creating darkness? Why would he even bother creating evil? Why would he do that? Dad? I don't know, but there's an opposition in all things. But I want to get back to what you were talking about, uh, the light. In section 90, it says, The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, the light and truth. Intelligence is what God is. He's intelligent. He knows everything. He knows all. Omnipotent. All-powerful. So intelligence is really what he is, but through that intelligence, we receive light. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Brother Steve. I just wanted to go back to what Harry was saying there in uh, section 90, paragraph 4 and 5. I'll read from 5. Man was also in the beginning with God. Intelligence or the light of truth was not created or made. Neither indeed can be. All truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it to act for itself as all intelligence also. Otherwise, there's no existence. You know, truth is never at variance with other truths. Five plus three will always be eight. Three plus five will always be eight. Eight minus five will always be three. Never will there be. The truth is never at variance with other truths. And we have to come to that conclusion. In other words, even Joseph Smith said, there's no lie more, and I'll use the word he used, damnable than a half-truth. Because if something's true, and there's a little bit of it that's false, it's not true. So we have to be so very careful, as Section 50 talks about. Oh, I better quit there. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Steve. Yes. When it says that God is life, He was life, that means God is everywhere. Light was everywhere. In order for there to be darkness, he had to remove light from someplace. In order to do that, he had to create darkness. Difference between the existence of light in God, which is everywhere, and something that didn't exist in God, but he created to make exist, like evil and other things. But that's the difference between light, which is everywhere, and that's the concept of creating. He had to actually, because darkness is no light. White or light is all colors. Darkness is no colors, if you think from color perspective. Um, He would have to remove all that light to create 
from behind the darkness. It, it starts to make sense when you think about it, doesn't it? It does start to, to make sense. Good it, scientific thoughts process. Yeah, and you know, think about the the kingdom when we when we have arrived, when we're in the kingdom with our Christ. It says there's no sun there. You don't need it because He is light. He is their light. And I go back to the scripture brother was reading earlier out of Genesis on the creation. If you, I was just thinking about this. Uh, it says chapter one verse four, and the the earth the earth was without form and void. And I caused darkness to come upon the face of the deep. And my spirit moved upon the face of the waters, for I am God. And I, God, said, let there be light, and there was light. So he created this darkness, and then he said, but I'm going to give them some light. But it it was different than the glory or that light of Christ. Uh, Okay, Christopher, and then we'll come back up here. So in 3 Nephi chapter 8, uh, it's where Jesus is talking to the people in the Americas. Uh, verse 49, Behold, I am the light. I have set an example for you. It says directly there that he is the light. Very good. Up here to Elisa. Well, we're, Isaac's getting his exercise. Um Another point is truth is eternal. Light and truth is eternal. Just like who is eternal. Just like God is eternal. And I think our um, understanding and comprehension of things is so limited by our sight. And and so you were reading from Genesis chapter 1, like 5, 6, 7, 8 in there about the light but if you skip over to 1920 and 21 he creates the sun and the moon and day and night and so we need to consider that light is a whole lot different than how we're perceiving it and seeing it very good thank you for that all right let's we're going to take a break here but let me read um this last verse it's from Second Nephi. I failed to put the, the scripture verse on there again. It says, I glory in paint plainness. I glory in truth. I glory in my Jesus, for he hath redeemed my soul from hell. We saints need to treasure up this light and this truth. And let's take a break there, and then we'll uh, we'll start um, when we come back from break on our Monday lesson, which is uh, fear not. Jane, Christopher, Third Nephi, what chapter? Eight and forty-nine. Third Nephi, eight, verse forty-nine. Let's uh, come back in about ten minutes. <laughs>